morning, everyone. Welcome this morning to Lake Oconee Presbyterian Church. My name is Jeff Birch, and I'm the pastor here at LOPC, and what a joy it is to welcome all of you this morning as we gather together to celebrate our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If you're visiting with us this morning, we offer a very, very warm welcome to you. We hope that as you came in, you were taken to our welcome center and given a uh, welcome bag that has all sorts of goodies in it, lets, us, lets you know a little bit about us. We want to just say we're glad you're here. And so whether you are in person or on the live stream, it's our heart and our prayer that this would just be a rich time of glorifying and worshiping our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If you have bulletins and want to pull them out, a couple different things. Quick reminder, if you're on the ed, end of an aisle, get the friendship pad started. That lets This is for everybody, members, non-members, visitors. If you're breathing, we would invite you to sign the friendship pad. Let us know that you're here. So if you're at the end of an aisle, get that set up. Okay, several different things, mainly in the calendar items of Christmas things. The children's department is doing a happy birthday Jesus party, and they're doing it next Sunday, December 11th. They'll be doing it during the worship service, and so we would love to have all the kids participate in that, so you're invited in terms of that. And I think there's a table out in the narthex where you will see a handcrafted invitation on the children's table. The Advent tea is this coming Tuesday. We want to be in prayer for that as the ladies get together for that, for that program. And then the Christmas cantata is Sunday, December 18th, so two weeks from this evening at 6 p.m. in the sanctuary. Wonderful opportunity to invite family and neighbors and friends to come on out. The choir is working so hard on that, and we want to just enjoy that evening. And then, of course, the Christmas Eve candlelight service is Saturday evening, Christmas Eve. Sean, it's nice when you knew it. Christmas Eve service is when? Something would be wrong if I said February 12th. <laughs> Christmas Eve service is when? December 24th. How's that for predictability? December 24th at 5 p.m. Uh, we do it early. It'll be our traditional service of lessons and carols. It's a real special service, a real beautiful service. Again, another opportunity for you to be inviting friends and inviting neighbors. Then I want you to note that the Inquirer's class has been rescheduled. That will take place on Friday evening, January 20th, and Saturday, January 21st. Any questions or if you want to sign up, please call Yvonne in the office. And so those are some of the things that are going on as we move through the season and move into 2023. This morning is the second Sunday of Advent. And I've asked Tom Schultz and Barbara Fleming if they would do the reading and light our second Advent candle. The scripture this morning is from uh, Isaiah chapter 11 verses 1 to 10. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And, in, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. 
He shall not judge by what his eye see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious." Let us pray. Lord, thank you that we can look back and see that Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of this wonderful prophecy. He is the one who has come and who, anointed with the Spirit, brings forth wisdom and peace and reconciliation. But we recognize that this fulfillment comes in two stages. Jesus' first advent is his birth and incarnation and his second advent for which we continue to wait. Teach us to wait patiently and long for the time when the wolf shall dwell with the lamb, when peace and righteousness and reconciliation will prevail. Strengthen us to wait for the time when all things will be made new. May we learn anew this Advent season to be strong and wait for the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.
This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife, and he gave him the name Jesus.
thank you so much for being used by God to lead our hearts to enter into his very presence where we worship him. Emmanuel, God with us. God himself has called us to worship this morning, and our call to worship is from Psalm 149, verses 1 through 4. Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song. His praise in the assembly of the godly. Let Israel be glad in his maker. Let the children of Zion rejoice in their king. Let them praise his name with dancing, making melody to him with tambourine and lyre. For the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He adorns the humble with salvation. Lord, may we assembled here this morning praise your holy name. We are overwhelmed and humbled that you would take pleasure in us that you would be pleased with our feeble praises. Lord, that you would inhabit those praises. May we be glad in you, our maker and our redeemer, and we invoke your name to join with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends, let us stand and sing praise to the Lord, singing, O come, O come, Emmanuel.
need of confession this morning comes from the prophet Micah. Micah chapter 6, verse 8. He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, and to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Friends, take a few moments to engage with the Lord personally and confess your sins to him. And then in a few moments, I will lead us in and we will pray together our corporate confession of sin. Let's pray. Friends, let us pray together. Father, you tell us in your word that whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. We confess that we have frequently lacked our faith. We have allowed ourselves to become cynical, and our cynicism has boiled over with slander, criticism, prayerlessness, and pessimism. How easily we've allowed ourselves to crumble under the stresses of our lives. Forgive us for our smallness of faith. In your mercy, hear us. For Jesus' sake, amen. And how does God respond to our confession, to our coming clean? Micah says, and it almost sounds like worship, doesn't he, when he says, Who is a God like you? Pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. Friends, we treat God with utter contempt. And how does he respond? All of our rebellion, all of our wickedness, all of our sin was absorbed into Jesus Christ in our place as our substitute. Jesus stood where we deserve to stand. He stood in our place and received the punishment we deserve so that we get what he deserves. It's amazing. I truly believe the heart of worship is for our hearts to be gripped by the fact of who in the world is a God like you who could pardon our iniquity, who could pass over our transgressions, and who casts our sins into the depths of the sea. We are truly that forgiven, truly that free. If you are in Christ, I encourage you to receive this assurance of pardon. And friends, let's stand and sing. How deep the Father's love for us.
amazing the distractions we can have in worship. There's some sort of hornet flying around the pulpit. If, if I, I should say this to folks in the live stream, if all of a sudden I'm preaching in a few minutes and I go, oh, it's not that the word of God surprised me that much. I'm ducking from this hornet or something that's, that's flying around here. So share that with you as I just saw him go around my sermon notes. Let's continue to worship the Lord. You know, as was played in the prelude as we've been focusing on, Jesus' name is called Emmanuel, and Emmanuel means God with us. And so he has invited us to relate to him, to commune with him, to express union with him. And so we will together as God's people pray the Lord's Prayer, and then I will lead us in a time of pastoral prayer. <clears throat> Friends, let us pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Father, thank you for that prayer, that when the disciples asked Jesus to teach them to pray, that is what he gave them. And so we pray, Father, for that prayer to not just be words that we echo, words that we say each week, but it would also embody qualities and characteristics that progressively and more and more shape our lives, that we would recognize and that we would live as your child, as your children, secure and free, knowing that we are cared for by our maker, our creator, that we are loved, that we are shepherded, that we are nurtured. May we recognize that we belong to you, that we are not our own. Freedom does not mean autonomy. Freedom does not mean that we call our own shots or that we are the master of our own fate. We belong to you and we are yours. And I pray that we would live knowing that we do not belong to ourselves. So that we would live hallowing your name. Setting your name apart as unique. That in all things that we do, whether in word or in deed, we would do so reflecting your holiness, your goodness, your truth, your beauty. And Lord, we long for your kingdom. We pray your kingdom come. We pray for the time when all hurts, all losses, all pain, all death, all mourning, all crying will be gone. When the new world that has been inaugurated will come to fruition in consummation. We long for that. We wait for that. We hasten that. During this Advent season, we're reminded of that. That though we be in the darkness, we're looking out over the horizon and we long for the light to come. And while we live waiting and longing in anticipation, may we be committed to doing your will on earth as it is in heaven. And Father, we depend on you totally for our needs, and so we pray that you would give us this day our daily bread, manna from heaven. Thank you that you delight in steadfast love, so you give us our physical needs, our spiritual needs. And Lord, we do ask 
and continue to ask forgiveness. Forgiveness for our dullness of heart, our coldness of heart. We ask that we would be a forgiving people to other people and that, Father, in this dark world, we recognize there will be temptations. Lead us not into the time of affliction. Deliver us from the evil one. Lord, we pray that we would live for your kingdom, your glory, and your power in all things. So we lift up our hearts to you. May our lives, may our ministry, may the life of this particular church reflect your beauty, your truth, your goodness, your greatness, your love. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
say something as choirs getting to their seats and stuff. I absolutely love our choir. Absolutely phenomenal. There is just something, you know, as I pray during the, you know, a lot of times when I pray during confession and stuff like that, you do realize I'm praying my own heart a lot. And so there are times I can have, and I'm sure you can too, our hearts can be a little cold. We know we should be warm towards the Lord and kind of on fire and stuff, but our hearts can be a little slow, a little dull, a little kind of like wake me up. And then the choir sings. And I'm so glad the choir sings before I preach because God uses it to say, now you better look out, I'm on fire. I'm feeling like, let's go. Last week we began to look at a series of studies during the Advent season where we were beginning to look at the riches of Christ. I likened it, I gave the image of pretending you're opening this Christmas package and you're diving in. We need to, in our faith, open the package that is Christ and understand all of the riches of Christ. How do we, practically speaking, in the book of Hebrews, the theme of the book of Hebrews is found in chapter 12, verse 2, where he talks about learning to fix your eyes on Jesus. Not just take a passing glance, but to gaze, to stay gazing upon Jesus Christ, to have his truth, his beauty, his greatness, his majesty, all the riches of treasure, the treasures of wisdom and knowledge captivate our hearts. And especially during Advent, which is a time that teaches us that brokenness and suffering and darkness is real, but the light is coming. The one who's called the I Am, the light of the world is coming. How do we learn to fix our eyes on Jesus, especially during this time of Advent? Last week we began by looking at the opening verses of the book of Hebrews, examining the wonder of who he is as heir, as creator, as sustainer, as radiance of God's glory, the revelation of God, and our Savior from sin. What the writer to the Hebrews was doing and is doing is he is seeking to encourage believers who might be discouraged, who might be facing trouble and hardship, and even tempted to despair, to not give up, even in the midst of the trial, in the midst of the affliction, but to see the wonder, the superiority of Christ. He's calling them to adhere to and not to ignore such a great salvation. This morning, and if you have Bibles, I'd encourage you and invite you to turn to them. We're looking at another passage where we are exploring the riches of Christ. This morning is Hebrews chapter 2, verses 5 to 18. Hear the word of the Lord. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere, what is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, 
namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our Lord endures, stands forever. We pray, Father, that you would pour out Holy Spirit to quicken our hearts, to apply to our hearts the realities, the eternal truths of your word. Make, them, make it clear to us. Convict us, challenge us, comfort us by the truth of the gospel. May Jesus be more and more real to our hearts and our lives. We pray in his name. Amen. Now in the passage before us, the theme of it is Jesus' solidarity with his people. And he's focusing on another aspect of Jesus' ultimate superiority. How Jesus is, as we said last week, the goat, the greatest of all time. This week he's focusing on his humanity. And if you look down with me at verse 10, there's a very interesting word. He is called the founder of our salvation. I'll teach you a little Greek here. If kids are looking at the children's words and all of that kind of stuff, the Greek word is archegos. And it's a fascinating word because it's translated founder, or author, or pioneer, or captain. I had to pick one of those words to title the sermon, and I chose captain of our salvation. But a good way to understand it is that Jesus is our champion. He's our hero. He is the champion of our salvation. Now, you all know that I'm originally from New York, and I love the New York sports teams, right? I'm taking a break talking about the Yankees. It's the offseason, but yes, I'm hoping they sign Aaron Judge, and I'm paying attention to that. For, but for a long period of my life, I lived in the Philadelphia area. So high school and college and whatnot, I was in Philadelphia. And while I was growing up in school, we were introduced to a Philadelphia icon, Rocky Balboa, the Italian stallion. And I loved Rocky Balboa. I mean, if you started right, right now, if Amy took to the piano and started playing that music, I would probably get down and try to do a one-arm push-up. 
and then I would fall flat on my face and somebody, Ken Atkins, would have to come up and pick me up again. But the music would just get me, you know, he starts running to the, on, up the art museum steps and he's, you know, just going up. I absolutely love it. And of course, my favorite of all the, you know, 4,000 movies they made in the Rocky franchise, the best of all time, don't argue with me with this one, obviously the first one. The first one was the best. Why? Why do we love Rocky so much? Because he was the people's champion. He was an underdog who overcame amazing odds and who triumphed, became our champion through his weakness. And Rocky points to an even better champion who triumphed through solidarity and weakness, and that's Jesus. And friends, we need to recognize, and this is application right off the bat, we all need someone who isn't just an inspiration to us. Rocky at best can be an inspiration to us. Maybe my New Year's resolution will be to learn to do one push-up. Forget one arm push-up. Just one push-up would be nice. But see, we don't need in life, in real life, you don't need an inspiration. You need a true champion. Someone who becomes a champion for us. And friends, Jesus is that champion. And if you look at the text with me, we're going to see three ways that Jesus is our champion. He is our champion by fulfilling our destiny, by giving us family solidarity or ultimate belonging, and by defeating our ultimate enemy. He fulfills our destiny, he gives us a sense of belonging, and he destroys our enemy. I want you to keep this in mind as we go through this text. The focus throughout the entire passage is on the union and solidarity of Jesus with the people of God. His oneness and union with his people. Take a look with me at verses 6 to 8. How does Jesus fulfill our destiny? Verse 6 begins, it has, been, it has been testified somewhere. And I love how the writer to the Hebrews says it. It's been testified somewhere. He doesn't tell us where. He assumes the people know their Old Testament because he immediately quotes and alludes to Psalm 8, where it says, What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You've crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. Now, the writer to the Hebrews, in alluding to and quoting Psalm 8, speaks of man, but also speaks of the entire experience of Jesus. It's a summary of the experience of Jesus. It speaks of his incarnation, his humiliation, when it says, you made him a little lower than the angels. Think about that. Jesus is the creator of all things, the heir of all things, the sustainer of all things, and yet he was made a little lower than the angels? Talk about humiliation. But then his exaltation, you crowned him with glory and honor. And his consummation, you put everything under his feet. This psalm is ultimately fulfilled in Jesus. But it is also a reflection of astonishment and amazement contemplating humankind's creatureliness before God. Because it also reflects back to our status, status as image bearers. Psalm 8 looks back to the cultural mandate, the creation mandate given by Moses to the people of God 
in Genesis chapter 1. And so to understand Psalm 8 and to understand actually Hebrews chapter 2, we have to go back and look at what's being said in Genesis 1 when it says, God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Now, nobody explains the significance of this like Richard Pratt, who used to be a professor at RTS in Orlando and now is the executive director of Third Millennium Ministries. And he talks about how in the ancient world, you've got to put yourself in the ancient context, it was common for kings and emperors within and around Israel to be called images of the gods. And so the pharaohs of Egypt, the various kings were called the images of gods. In other words, they received these titles because in Old Testament times it was believed that kings and emperors had a very distinct role. And it distinguished them from ordinary human beings. Their role was to stand between heaven and earth, and they had the special task of learning the will of God and then stewarding that will and enforcing it on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, those words sound familiar. I hope they do. We pray them each and every Lord's Day. The kings and the emperors and the pharaohs were to learn the will of their particular gods and to bring that will to the earth. In other words, they were stewards or managers of their gods and their god's world. Now, I want you to think about this. How radical is Moses? when he says that not kings and emperors, but every human being is an image of God. All human beings were created to be God's representative, God's stewards, God's managers on the earth. They were to manage the earth as representatives of God, on God's behalf, to make sure his will is done here as it is in heaven. That's why the entirety of our lives is one of stewardship. And God established a measure of order and beauty and creation, put humanity in this wondrous holy garden to serve him, and then he called him basically to have dominion and not to have the knowledge of God go not just in the Garden of Eden, but where? Over the whole earth. In other words, God ordained mankind as the instrument of kingdom expansion. Extending the kingdom of God was the very purpose for God putting human beings on earth. That's why the psalmist, and that's why here in Hebrews, it says, what is man that you are mindful of him? What is man that you would give him this status, this purpose, this dignity? But now, a problem emerged. How did man do in his mission? How did Adam and Eve do in their mandate? And what was passed on all the way down to us? We failed in our mission. The goal was frustrated by sin and rebellion and death. The, 
but recognize, and this is where the writer of Hebrews is saying, the goal is thwarted, but not forgotten. Because look at the transition between verses 8 and 9. He says, putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. Now talk about something fitting for Advent. He says, at present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. At present, what do we see? We see death and crying and mourning and pain and rebellion and injustice and chaos. But look at this transition. He says, but we see him. In other words, Hebrews 12, fix your eyes on him. And as a matter of fact, the same word archegos is used in Hebrews 12 that's used here in Hebrews 2 verse 10. The founder of your faith, who for the joy set before him. See, Jesus does what we could not do. We did not fulfill the mission. We did not accomplish our, our vocation. We did not live as stewards, as managers of God's earth. But Jesus fulfills our vocation as perfect image bearers. See, everything was to be put under us as God's representatives on earth, but we failed. And so at present, we do not see this. This is not our experience, but we do see Jesus. We look at life now, and what do we see? We see all of this. We certainly don't see humanity ruling in the place in and for God. We more see humanity trying to be their own gods. Just like the people in Genesis chapter 11, we see people trying to make a name for themselves, live autonomously. But we do see Jesus. You know, I love the Chronicles of Narnia tales. And there's a place, it's kind of like when Lucy, who was the youngest of the four children and the first to see Narnia, goes into Narnia for the first time. And she meets the fawn. His name was Mr. Tumnus. If you haven't read these books or you haven't read them to your children or grandchildren, I would encourage you to do that. Read them to your grandchildren. Lucy goes in, she meets Mr. Tumnus, and Mr. Tumnus is describing the world of Narnia and it's kind of a lot like Advent. It's a 100-year-long winter that they've been suffering under. And they've been suffering under the tyranny of the White Witch. But Mr. Tumnus says to Lucy, Aslan is on the move. In other words, it's kind of like the writer of the Hebrews quoting Psalm 8 saying, all things were meant to be one way. But we're going through a very, very long winter right now. Things are not the way they're supposed to be in any arena of life. But we see Jesus. It's meant to stir up your hearts to say, Jesus is on the move. It was God's intention to put everything under humanity's feet as divine image bearers and representatives of God. This purpose has been thwarted but not forgotten. God will put everything under Jesus' feet as the ultimate human. As the champion of our salvation, Jesus will fulfill humanity's purpose and destiny. We will reign with God and manage the world through Jesus. Jesus fulfills humanity's true vocation. And our original vocation, 
is redeemed and restored in Jesus. That's the first way that Jesus is our champion. He fulfills our destiny, and we get renewed, redeemed meaning and significance in life. That means everything you do, you do as a steward. And everything you do has meaning on, in the earth. There is nothing we do that doesn't have meaning and significance. Look with me now at verses 11 and 12, and look at how he gives us a sense of family solidarity or family belonging. First verse 11, it says, For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. Jesus and the people of God share the same family origin. The common family relationship is rooted in God's determination to bring his children to their destiny through Jesus' redemptive mission. And then look at this. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. This is absolutely amazing. Do you realize Jesus is not ashamed of us? And if he's not ashamed of us, that means what? He is positively proud of us. Friends, that's absolutely mind-blowing. We are his brothers. We are his sisters. We are his family. We are called his beloved. It is like what is said of us in Zephaniah 3.17, that the Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. I'm afraid some, some of us don't know what it feels like to have somebody take such pleasure in us, take such delight in us. This says that the Lord not only validates us, he is positively proud of us. He is not ashamed to call us family. That gives us belonging that you'll never find in the world. That gives you belonging that no earthly family, as great as it might be, no sports team, no work environment, that gives you more security and belonging than you can find anywhere else. And then look at what it says in verse 12, where it says, I will tell of your name to my brothers, and in the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. Jesus proclaims God's name in worship, acting as a singing priest and singing savior, leading the redeemed family in songs of praise. Do you know what this is saying? When we come to worship, I'm not the worship leader. Amy's not the worship leader. Jesus Christ is the worship leader. Singing God's praise in our midst. Talk about something happening to us when we worship. That's why there is nothing like worshiping the living God. Our true worship leader is our brother, Jesus. He is the true worship leader declaring the praises of God in our midst. So Jesus is our champion, not only fulfilling our destiny, but giving us this sense of family solidarity, family belonging. Lastly, he destroys our ultimate enemy. Look with me at verses 14 and 15, where it says, Since therefore the children share in flesh, flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things. That's amazing in and of itself. Again, talk about the solidarity, the union. Since we share in flesh and blood, what did Jesus do? He partook of flesh and blood. He became like one of us. That through death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death. 
that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Friends, one of the ways we have to learn to see Jesus is as our divine warrior. He is our champion, who's our divine warrior, who fights our ultimate battle. And our ultimate battle is against death. That's why death is called the final enemy. And it is that. Jesus is right now putting everything under his feet, and the last enemy to be put on his, under his feet is death. And Jesus is a champion warrior, warrior who took on human nature in order to destroy him who holds the power of death. As you move through Advent into Christmas, as we move through the year and you get to Lent and you move into Good Friday, recognize that on the cross was the ultimate battle. That part of the meaning of the cross was the ultimate battle between the power of Jesus and the powers of darkness. And the hymn of verse 14 is identified as the devil. And the identification exposes the depth of the human plight and the human condition. The devil, completely under the sovereignty and control of God, did not possess control over death inherently, but gained his power when he seduced humankind to rebel against God. And death becomes a sort of henchman in the devil's service. He uses it as an instrument to bludgeon humanity into submission. And the irony is that human beings, destined and originally intended to have dominion over the creation, should find themselves in the posture of a slave, paralyzed through the fear of death. See, the presence of death makes itself felt in the experience of anxiety. It is important for us to realize that this has a very specific reference in the context of the letter to the Hebrews. The writer to the Hebrews is referring very specifically to the disposition within the hearers and gives us an indication of the seriousness of their situation, their temptation to leave and abandon Jesus. The human condition and need, this answers, is our need for freedom and liberation. Realize that the primary goal of the incarnation, the primary goal was Jesus' participation in death. This is why when we get to Christmas, we say Jesus was the only person ever born specifically to die. Because the goal of Christmas was Good Friday and Easter Sunday. That's where it was moving. So that in Jesus' participation in death, he nullified the devil's ability to enslave the children of God through the fear of death, through weakness and the weakness of the cross. Jesus destroys death and the one who holds the power of death, that is Satan. That's why verse 17 tells us that Jesus was made like us in every way, even unto death. Since Jesus' brothers were enslaved to death, Jesus liberated them by enslaving himself even to death. We are delivered from Satan's tyranny. Jesus is the champion of our salvation. He gives us true meaning in life, becoming the ultimate union, fulfilling our destiny so that in him we can 
return to being managers and stewards of the earth. Everything we do has significance. There is nothing you do that is insignificant. Jesus is our champion, giving us family solidarity. Look around you. This is your truest family right here. These are your brothers and sisters that you belong to. The body of Christ, the beloved community of God, made up of every tribe and tongue and nation and language. The beautiful, multicultural, multi-ethnic people of God is your true family. Your truest family is a global family made up of every tongue and tribe and people and language. The church is where you find ultimate belonging. And he's our champion, destroying our ultimate enemy, death and the one who holds the power of death. We are truly free. We are truly liberated. It may not look like it now, at present, in this world, we still suffer with Advent. We still suffer seeing the chaos, feeling the pain. But friends, and here's the heart of the passage, and here's the heart of my prayer for us. But we see Jesus. May we be a people who don't just glance, who don't just take a kind of a sideswipe by Jesus. May we be ultimately captivated and in love with our champion. Father, thank you for this word. I know I don't fully understand my desperate need for Jesus. And how, Jesus, you are not just an inspiration to us to live a better life. God forbid that we should ever live like that. But you are our champion who took our place, fulfilled our destiny, gave us a sense of the reality of belonging, and defeated our ultimate enemy. We join Jesus, Father, in singing your praises in the power of the Spirit, and we adore you and we thank you for your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let us stand and sing together joy to the world.
friends, now receive the Lord's benediction. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Amen.